hi, hello, welcome to episode 62 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. And I'm Keely Henninger. And Hillary Allen is running around Wales or something right now, hopefully sleeping actually right now, but is uh, is off and, off and about as she makes her way over towards Thailand. Keely, I... Uh, I was I don't think I was even peeping your Strava. I think it was an Instagram story and I was like, "You sicko. You did some long some long runs last week." Uh tell me a little bit, just a tiny bit about the uh the verdi nonsense that you got up to. Yeah, I've actually been Strava dark for like 3 months. So, yeah, you see them on I post some on my Instagram just cuz people are interested and also it's so different than what I normally train, so I think it's just like kind of fun to show people that like you can be versatile. But this last week was kind of my peak final build week. Um, and in it, I had two pretty long runs, like over six hours of running a day, um, which, you know, based off the mileage is not like the fastest running, but they both were just p- filled with a ton of vert. Um, and it wasn't supposed to be Tuesday, Sunday long runs. It was supposed to be like Monday or Sunday and then Sunday, but I was busy last weekend and just couldn't do it. So we we compromised and kind of made this just a big seven day push. Um, and yeah, the first run I was solo the whole time for the five hours and got like 8,000 feet in 25 miles and then did a double in the evening. Um, again, just based off life stuff. And it was super fun. It was really good to be by myself for that long and also just feel like I was having super fun with it all. And then, you know, I was joking with some locals who know BPA road, which is this like pretty steep trail in Portland. It's the steepest one in the park. It's about 900 feet in 0.85.9 miles. So it's basically a thousand feet a mile grade. Um, and I had done four of them in that long run because it's like the best way to get vert in short amount of distance. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, won't have to do this again until Sunday. So like, at least I get a break. But then of course, like I look ahead at my workouts because I just don't really read them ahead of the day. (laughs) And Tyler was like, okay, we're going to do a hill workout on BPA, three by BPA. (laughs) And I was like, oh, dear God. Okay. I'm living on this 0.9 mile section of road. Yeah. So I did 10 this week with like, so just in that part of my training was like, 19 miles and 10,000 feet. So <laughs> dude, that's disgusting. A lot. Yep. So it was a really good week. Um, and super fun and like very different than what I'm doing normally, but it's been really fun mentally to just have my watch on the pace or sorry, the duration and the elevation gain mode, not look at pace, not look at mileage and just kind of go for the vert that he wants me to get. And it's normally like within a couple miles of what he wanted, but I'm not fixating on that at all, which has just been really fun. And like, so refreshing to, I was telling you earlier, get to a big hill. And like, normally I run them all because I like to run and I'm horrible at hiking, but I've been hiking so much now and that's what we're supposed to do. So I get to go to a hill and be like, oh, we're just going to hike it. This is great. Have a little snack, hike the hill. (laughs) I distinctly remember, I don't remember what you were training for. This is like OG, you Mm -hmm. and I hanging out. Like we were still living in Bellingham, I think at this point. And I came down to the Gore, I came down to Portland for like a weekend. And I stayed with you in that old house. You're living in like in the very far upstairs. Yep. And we went for that run and you brought poles with you. Maybe you were training for CCC. I was training for CCC in 2017. Yeah. And you were like, yeah. I have to hike. I have to bring poles. And then we like start this stupid run and you're just like off running up the hill. And I was like, Keely, like you're supposed to be hiking. I agreed to go on this run because you told me that you'd be hiking. Um, 
Yeah. So yeah, uh, that was a really cool ro- route because it's like I think that one was like four thousand feet or five thousand feet in six miles or something. Yeah, we had a good crew too. Like Gordo was there. I think that day. Like it was a yeah. fun. That, fun that route, unfortunately, like the way we came down, which was way more cruisy, is still open, but that climb up got burned out. So it's mm. not a climb anymore. Yeah. But how how we've come full circle. Look at you now. Come full circle. Little hiking <laughs> machine five years later, six years later. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's do this dance. We got to give a shout out. You're up. Do it. Take it. Yeah. So if you guys have been longtime listeners, you might know that both of us have been drinking AG1 for like two years now. And when I started drinking AG1 daily, I was a little skeptical first. But then as soon as I started drinking it consistently, like I found that during the afternoons when I would have it kind of as a coffee replacement, because I was used to having coffee like 24-7, I felt like way (laughs) more energized and like had way less of a crash. And so I kind of became a convert. And since then, I've just mixed it with so many different things. Like sometimes I'll throw it with oat milk. Sometimes I'll throw it with protein powder. Like I always just kind of mix it up, but it's definitely turned into my go-to like midday drink or snack, whatever the medium I drink it through is. Um, and I love it because it makes me feel good. And because it's a foundational nutritional supplement, it supports all of my body's universal needs and really helps with gut optimization, all my stress management and immune support, which is pretty sweet. Um, and they're always refining their formula to create like a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. So I feel really good whenever I'm trying it because I know that they're thinking about all of us when they're building it. Um, how do you, how do you think it makes you feel? Have you noticed any of those kind of differences? I have. Yeah. I mean, I, I bought a really fancy espresso machine, so I'm definitely like an espresso bay at this point, but, um, I'm also a a drink or a beverage like goblin i don't know if you've seen that tiktok but it's like i've got my coffee i've got my ag1 smoothie situation <laughs> and i have my electrolytes for the, those watching uh on youtube you just saw my my drink goblin sit status for those of you listening to this i have a plethora of beverages on my uh, desk in my office it's generally how i make it through my morning it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and everything i feel like goes a long way anytime i get fluids in in general it's a big win so ag1 has become a part of that and ag1 is the supplement i trust to provide the support my body needs daily and that's why they've been a partner with us for so long i think it's going on 2 years now and if so if you want to take ownership over your health it can start with ag1 so try ag1 and get a free 1 year supply of vitamin d3 k2 and a 5 and and a five. That's not how you say that sentence. Um, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. You're going to go over to drinkag1.com slash trail society. That's drinkag1.com slash trail society to check out some AG1 today. Okay. So news, we had a question get, we had a question right in that we didn't cover in our last, um, ask me anything episode. And it was specifically dealing with lactating mothers. And I think it was lactating mothers, injury risk, reds, LEA, kind of what's been coming out in that space. You and I, before we hit record, we're talking about how it's super interesting because anecdotally, like we've got close friends who've gone through this. We've got uh, professional runners in the space that we look up to that have gone through this. So I'm just kind of wondering, I know that you went back and looked over what had been coming out. I'm wondering what you saw as you did that. Yeah. So, you know, no shocker to us. I feel like this is like beating a dead horse by now, but like, there's not much out there in terms of research in this field. 
not shocking to me. I hope that we continue to change this. However, recently in September, um, so a couple months ago, the British Journal of Sports Medicine released kind of like an editorial summarizing like kind of hypotheses around this called Red S and the Lactating Athlete. Um, and it was really fascinating. Um, it talks about basically Red S and then lactation and how they are both different and the same and how sometimes you could have red s which is relative energy deficiency in sport um, and sometimes you could be lactating and have very similar overlapping symptoms and it's really hard to suss out if the symptom is from something like red s or if the symptom is from something like lactation and lactating and having a child that's requiring you to do that. Yeah. Um, it like naturally bumps you into LEA essentially. Right. Which exactly. is, which is just like limited energy availability where it's like, it's not an intentional. You're just like, your energy is going to a lot of resources, including lactation mm-hmm. at that point. Yep. Yep. And three key or sorry, four key symptoms of low energy availability or red S are sleep disturbances, decreased libido, um, increased stress fracture risk and urinary incontinence. And those are also four things that are higher risk for lactating mothers. And mm-hmm. so again, very intertwined, it's hard to suss them out. But I think kind of one thing that came to the forefront of this paper was that, you know, lactation does put you in a state that could be like a low energy availability state so that we have to be even more cognizant of making sure we're meeting our energy demands from a lactation standpoint and then from an athlete standpoint. So I think there's a lot of um, dietitians and nutritionists and doctors out there who are at least getting to be well-versed in the energy demands of lactation. And so I think you know, better understanding that kind of energy demand and then accounting for athletics would be like a good way to think about it. So maybe your baseline need is just higher. So therefore, like you really do need to consider like eating more, fueling more throughout your runs, all of that kind of stuff. Um, And then another thing that it brings up is that on average, again, average is not for everybody. Not everyone will have this happen, but women during six months of lactation will lose like around 5% of bone mass just because a lot of the calcium is getting leached out into the breast milk. And so, you know, if you think about that from an athlete perspective, if you are loading those bones a lot and maybe you have impaired mechanics due to a lot of the stuff that happens in the pelvis, um, you know, you could be loading those slightly impaired bones more than usual, and that could potentially lead to higher incidence of stress fracture. So there's a lot of things that are all kind of confounding variables in this scenario that hopefully over time we'll be able to start sussing out and seeing like how this all can be managed. And so, you know, if you are an athlete who is one of those people who loses a good amount of bone mass during lactating, um, maybe you have to decrease your load for a little bit while you build that bone mass up because you can build the bone mass back. But again, if you're in a low energy state because you're also running a lot and you're losing that bone mass due to lactation, that bone density probably won't be recovered as well. So then you might be getting back into training with impaired bone mass. So yeah, it's you know, really when really- you come in, you like if you come into pregnancy with lower bone density for whatever reason, right? Yep. Like we yep. all come in with our unique genetic history, our unique medical history, et cetera. So I could see how there'd be a number of runners just at heightened risk going into that phase as well, just from like a bone density standpoint. Yep. So exactly. yeah, there's there are a lot of it's not it's not necessarily a chicken and an egg scenario, oh. but it's like there are a lot of things that could be at play here. And it's just like 
hearkening back to the like the big dogs got to eat and mm-hmm. eat enough always and all of those kind of mantras in the sense that like it's it's that I guess it's it's making sure that you're fueled well but it's also the like just like giving yourself the grace to like train a little bit differently knowing that you're going into a phase where you are going to have lower bone bone density etc and not and like just being aware of that right from like a metabolic need standpoint from a training volume and training load standpoint like how are you utilizing cross training modalities mm-hmm. how are you like how much what like what's happening with your run volume etc like i don't want to say oh you're breastfeeding so you sh- so you like have to be conservative point blank period like that's not i don't know women get told that enough about enough things probably but that mm-hmm. i don't think is a fair mm-hmm. a fair uh prognosis prescription etc but I do think that it's like okay like that's something to keep in mind as a coach of women as a female runner ourselves etc as as friends to to mother many many mother runners um it's definitely we've definitely seen it too we've definitely had friends who have gone gone through this exact thing um but yeah it's super interesting I hope that more research gets done on it 100%. And then there was one other like small piece that I thought was interesting that I'm just going to touch on quick. And it was more around the mental status and how at that time, like big dogs got to eat or you got to fuel better might not resonate with everyone. Mm -hmm. um, Because you're in this weird body, right? Like you birthed this child, you've gone through a lot of body changes, and now your body probably still doesn't feel the same. And like some women, it's really hard for them to be like, oh, I'm now in this different body. I want to be back to the body I was prepartum, but I don't know how to get there. And so in some instances, it could be just a way or like it might elicit feelings of inadequacy and feelings of like they really want to rush to get back to that body. So it can stir up like old disorders. If someone used to struggle with disordered eating, that could come to the light. Because again, they're, they're dealing with this body that's foreign to them and they they want to be back to where they were before their child. And so Mm -hmm. there's just like a big mental component too, where it's like, yeah, you know, you need to eat more, but also like you're in this body that is foreign to you. And the quickest way that you know, to get back to your old body is to like lose that extra weight you put on to have the child. And so, yeah, it's a really tricky place. And I think the headspace piece is even trickier than, you know, the physiology, the physiology, which is saying a lot because physiology of this is also complicated. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's also that expect there's yeah. that expectation to like bounce back, right? It's like, which is like externalized, internalized. It's all you feel that from yeah, you feel you feel it from society, you feel it from social media, you feel it from how you interact with the world, right? It's this like I think Rachel Drake wrote a piece about that from like the athletics standpoint of like this idea of bouncing back, of like this elastic like return to form and return to you know, pre pre-pregnancy um like athletic stature etc and it's just like that is a like I think she set it up as being like that's not how it works like it's not this elastic bounce back it's like a a slow like continual process of taking care of yourself and like giving yourself time and space to do that so I thought that that was super super interesting but yeah that's I'm going to be thinking about this a lot with all my, with all my athletes and with all my friends. So if you have more questions about this, or if if you've experienced with this, or if you've read anything interesting in this space, shoot us a DM. Would love to hear more kind of both anecdotally and scientifically from the community, because you all are where we get a bunch of our really fun reads from. So don't hesitate to slide into our DMs. Yeah. 
Speaking of ideas, you had an idea to raise Cape Town. I did. And how are you feeling? Excellent transition, Keely. Um, I'm feeling good. Yeah, we just we know this is coming out post Cape Town and post uh, Thailand. I think even this will come out in December. Um, we're recording ahead of travel, but just wanted to kind of like pull back the curtain a little bit about what's been kind of like going on as we both step onto start lines that are different than what we've done recently, or we've had our own hurdles getting there, et cetera. Um, and we'll do a full race recap of Thailand and UTCT on the the back the back end of uh, both those races in in December. But yeah, it's I'm really excited to race Cape Town. I was there last year, but I had a moment of reflection the other day where I was like, this time last year. I went for like, I was run walking and I went for like my first like three or four mile consecutive run, like this weekend last year, like Cape town last year. Um, I was like, cool. I'm ready to go. Like do a few runs with Sasha when I get to Cape town, um, type of thing. So it's really cool to like reflect on the year that I've had and like how I had a lot of hurdles last year coming back from injury. And like those hurdles definitely were part of my season this year as well but like learned a lot from them and I've been able to like kind of adapt and adjust and have put together like a really solid year of running if I look at like vault like volume time vert mileage in comparison to last year etc like while it hasn't felt perfect like things are starting to stack up and that's like really really exciting and so while Cape Town is going to be competitive you guys will know how competitive it is when you listen to this. It's like the women's hundred K field is super, super good and super strong and a little bit scary. And my goal going in is to like, really just go experience the race and put myself in a competitive hundred K, which I haven't raced a hundred K in a long time, like a hundred K like this Kodiak was kind of be like the first, first iteration of that. And unfortunately had not received any body care in like 12 weeks going into that race. And did not end well for me, but excited to be back on a start line with a bunch of women that I really respect and love and admire and get to go do a huge circuit around Cape Cape Town. Who doesn't love a giant loop? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's about, it's about spending a day out in the mountains. Like I talked to my crew, um, I've got a local, a local farm boy who's going to be uh, helping me out out there, driving my mom oh. around. Yeah. I was like, I, I was like, I've hired you for the day. You're now my person. Um, and I love like South African, I love South African like slang. And I was like talking through about, about being nervous, but excited. He's like, Oh yeah, you're going to be hundo. Like you're going to be hundred percent. Like you're fine. Like, it's going to be like, he's like, yeah, it's a race, but like, you're also going to be running through like some of the most beautiful zones and just like, take it in. Yeah. Just don't like, I remember talking to Ryan Sands before the race and he's like, Oh, like it's pretty like not technical. You'll be fine. (laughs) And, uh, after the beach section, you come through this like kind of field and then you start scrambling up this peak and it's literally other peak. It's a scramble at the top. You're finding footholds and, uh, Ryan Sands decides to drop at like halfway up that climb and comes back down and passes me. And he's like, it's okay, Keely, this is the only technical section. And I'm like, this is like climbing. This is super tight. You're like, we are scaling boulders right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I ran that section actually last year with um, Marzell and Drew and Sasha. And yeah, it is. It's like just like full scrambling up to some boulders. So yeah, I think the the new section that they they added last year across part of table mountain by the apostles and then the way we come off table mountain i think is more technical than in years past um that they did they did run that last year so i think that that section will be kind of slow and technical the descent off table mountain looks really gnarly but i'm really actually very excited to like see how i feel in the back half of the race where things are more runnable 
just because I feel like while that inherently hasn't been my strength, I think as a trail and ultra runner, it's something that I've worked on a lot and spent a lot of time doing, you know, flatter, like faster rolling running. And I feel like I've, I've got a lot more strength in that stuff than I used to. And so I'm very excited to like make it through the first half of the race, get down to, to Hout Bay and change into shoes that will feel a little bit quicker and like hopefully enjoy some heat and get to push and like grind over the back half of the race. And the next time I talk to you all, it'll be a reflection of like what actually happened out there. And if I survived the technical stuff and if I enjoyed suffering in the heat on the back half of the day. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're going to have so much fun because at the end of the day, like you're running through Cape Town. What? Yeah. It's cool. And my mom's going to be there. And then we're going to have this like brilliant vacation on the back half of it. And it's going to be super sick. So I am, I am jazzed. And then we'll sit down, um, the three of us will get to record post post Thailand, post UTCT. Hopefully I'll have gotten to see many of you out there and get to shout you out the next time we record. Um, we've got a really cool interview for you today. Before we jump into that, we got to give a shout out to the folks that are making our nutrition happen for these upcoming races. That is the people over at the feed, literally saving our butts. I uh, got my order in time to take it on the road um, with me. And so we, we love the feed. We love the snack boxes. We love that it's your one-stop shop for a little bit of everything, including, you know, beyond, beyond normal, like in, in sport nutrition, we're talking breakfast, we're talking coffee, we're talking snacks, we're talking, you know, I'm buying like oat bars for Steven to bring to work with him, et cetera. Like it's got, it's literally got everything there. So if you want to try the feed, you're going to go over to www.thefeed.com slash trail society. And there you can get a $15 credit to spend on $35 product. And that's $15 every quarter. So $60 over the course of a year. It is a steal. That's like so many gels. Actually, gels are really expensive these days. So it's like a handful of gels, but it adds up in a big way. So thanks to the folks over at the feed. Keely, who are we talking to today? Who Who's our meat and potatoes with? I think we both think this is our favorite interview we've ever done. Mm-hmm. Fair to say. And we're not lying this time. Okay. This is really our favorite. <laughs> not that we've lied before. It's just now this one's our favorite. So uh, yeah. Anyways, um, we are interviewing Sally McRae. I don't really think she needs an introduction. She is kind of like our mama bear. She gives us so much advice in every single realm of life, whether it's running or families or partnership or grief. Like she is a wealth of knowledge, probably one of the most well-spoken people I've ever talked to. And also one of the most joyous people with the best laugh out there. Um, she coaches, she runs crazy, crazy races, in, uh, including a bunch of 200s this year that we'll dive into. She is a mama bear to two lovely children. She is a wife. She is so many things. Um, and we are so, so excited for you guys to listen to this interview today with the amazing Sally McRae. Hi, I'm Sally McRae, and I've been an ultra runner for almost 15 years, and I love trail running, ultra running all over the world. <laughs> and we are so excited to have you on the podcast. Keely and I, when I <laughs> sent text to her being like, I think we should have Sally on. She was like, let's do it. We're on it. So we're happy that you're here sitting yeah, down. Yeah, we, we pulled the friend card and that's how we get to talk with <laughs> lovely Sally McRae. That's really what this is, you guys. This isn't a podcast. <laughs> it's just we're inviting the listeners to hang out with us with our uh, coffee. Are you guys drinking anything? I've got coffee 
today. Yep. Look at that. Oh, <laughs> so welcome to a little coffee chat. We've invited you to the table, friends. And speaking of favorite conversations, you do coffee chats. I actually, I hadn't listened to much of like yours. I've listened to interviews with you because they're always amazing, but I hadn't actually listened to like your Choose Strong podcast with Eddie. And oh my gosh, like it is so funny. It feels like you're sitting in on like a long coffee date that happens to be recorded. And so this is like, we're going off script already. Can you tell us a little bit about sitting down and recording podcasts with Eddie? Yeah. I mean, Eddie and I, he, we were first best friends when, when we um, went to college together, we were both soccer players. And so um, that first year we became really good friends unbeknownst to both of us. We ended up having four classes together that first year unplanned. Um, and then the next year at 19, we started dating and fell in love pretty quick. I, I knew like that year that he was the one I was going to marry. Like he's just one oh. of a kind and uh, to, to be able to marry your best friend is like such a gift. Um, it's truly the foundation of our relationship. So he's always been, um, he was a youth pastor and then a, a elementary school teacher. And he did that for a while. And when we were, we were living up in Bend, Oregon, well, for many years, I was always trying to get him to work alongside me, but I think I was asking him in the wrong way. It was more like, can you help me? Instead of like, Hey, I need you. Let's do this together. And so, um, in 2021, he finally made that leap and he's the reason why we have a podcast. Uh, he does all the things, producing, editing, all that. But our sit downs together are pretty hilarious because they're very true to just who we are. Um, we spend every single day together. And then when we first did the podcast, he's like, it's going to be all you, all you just do interviews. And I was like, I kind of just like hanging out and talking with you. And so uh, more and more, he's kind of like inched into being a regular guest. And now he has his own like cult following people love <laughs> Eddie. So, um, yeah, we, we kind of plan a little bit what we're going to talk about. There's always something we use our podcast to really just encourage people. It's, I wouldn't categorize it as a running podcast. We use the stories and adventures that I do as um, metaphors to life, like as a way to encourage people. And within that we throw in just, um, having been together for so long, we have a lot of experiences and life experiences to share with people and um, talk about our kids and um, pursuing goals and, and things like that. So yeah, we have a lot of fun, a lot of laughter and a lot of coffee. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lot of laughing. I was like, man, Eddie is a funny guy. Like, yeah. It's really like, and like, just listening to you guys, like your dynamic, you can tell that it's like, so full of love and it's very authentic and it's just, yeah, it's, it's super cool. I met my husband when I was 19 um, and we were really good friends and then uh, yeah, I didn't start dating until several years later, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's kind of funny when I'm like, man, I've known you since we were kids. Like yeah, it's since your kids. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a special so foundation. Yeah. Super cool. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. This is also off script, but I'm assuming to roll with it. How have you met like, growing with someone for that long because I feel like if I look back to who I was when I was 19 if I try to think about like if I was with someone for that long I don't know how we would survive that so like how has been like changing together like how does that work yeah that and we've had a lot of um I'm, I'm not gonna avoid that I think marriage is hard 
just that it isn't something that people always talk about or prepare you for because you go through the different phases of of marriage and and dating you know when it's in the beginning it's exciting it's exhilarating um falling in love you're almost blinded by it because it's just <laughs> everything you know he's your universe and he can do no wrong right um but any time that you really commit to someone and choose to love someone it i i think what we've learned is like you have to recognize you're loving someone that's unique from you they're not uh, loving is about trying to control someone and shape them into who you think they should be. It's choosing to love them for who they are. And we had to do a lot of growing in that and really learn how we both communicate, how we both show love. Um, we come from different family backgrounds. So even that was really different mm. for us. Like when we started having kids, um, you know, like I wanted to raise kids one way and he had different thoughts on how to raise the kids and um, careers. And yeah, we, we've been through a lot, but it's always come back to love is a choice and I choose to love him. And I wouldn't say that every year that we're madly in love, especially the first 10 years of our marriage was a lot of nabbing because you grew so much. Like we got mm -hmm. married when we were 22 and you are a completely different person, not completely, but you just, you grow a lot from being a kid from 22 to 32. Um, by that time, within that 10 year span, we got married. We had a couple kids. We'd moved a couple times across the country, um, had changed jobs several times. I mean, we were doing a lot of growing. And so, um, you know, in the rough seasons, I think there was always moments where I felt like, gosh, I just really miss my friend. Like I miss my best friend and I miss laughing and I, I hate the season that we're in. This is so hard. And, um, knowing that every relationship has that, I think is, is really important too. I think that if ever we were to put off that we're this perfect, uh, couple, then we would be lying because, you know, when you're truthful, you're, you're going to have hard conversations. You're going to have <laughs> conversations that are uncomfortable and things that hurt. And, um, but when you love someone so much, you know, that you have to have those truthful conversations so that you can, you can get to the best possible place. So now that, uh, I know Keely, we talked about this before, um, we will be celebrating 22 <clears throat> years of marriage on June 22nd. And I think, you know, we're definitely at a place in our marriage right now where we're just like, we always, we always say like, we're so lucky that we get to be together. We're so lucky that we are each other's best friend and, um, just really feel like we have a better understanding of how much work it takes to truly have a strong relationship. And I think if we ever stop discovering each other and, and realizing like we could spend our whole lives discovering each other and finding the reasons why we love each other and choosing to love each other. And we could spend our whole marriage doing that. And if we stop, um, I think that's, that's where, where sometimes relationships get stale and uh, you start to mm -hmm. lose, lose sight of, of what true love is. So mm -hmm. yeah, we're always a work in progress. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And I, I'm just like, I'm laughing to myself a little bit. Cause it's like, okay, you know, in a long form running podcast, we had to talk about like, okay, how'd you find running? We're not going to do that today. We're going to dive right into like where we're at right now. And like, and all of you who want to know how Sally found running can look at a lot of yeah, other podcasts. There's other, there's other places you can go. If you want to know about how Sally became a soccer player and then became a runner. Um, which is not, not a bad thing, but here we are. We, um, you mentioned, you know, choose love, choose strong. And there was a quote actually that Keely pulled from the book. 
And it says, my belief is that everyone is created strong. Strength is more than just physical attributes. It's more than big muscles and toned bodies or setting personal records. Strength is an innate part of us. It's how we learn to get back after falling. It's how we navigate relationships, careers, and everything in life. And when you use those terms to say, you know, you're choosing, choosing love, choosing strong, and all of a sudden it's like, it's that people can identify with that as like a physical thing, but instead it's like that relates to how you care for someone, how you relate to someone. It relates to how you approach the world and approach, approach, you know, what you do in your day-to-day life. And I'm wondering if you can tell us more about how that like choose strong, choose love mentality relates to like your relationships with friends, your family, with Eddie, et cetera. Cause I think that that's a really powerful way of looking at like the term strong. Absolutely. I, I really believe too, that, um, you know, as, as humans, we want to know that we have value. Um, we want to be seen and and we also want to know that we are capable, um, of living out our life in a way that is not only authentic to us, but in the way that we dream, I think as kids, it's so easy to have these big imaginations and, and dream that you can do anything. And then we get jaded by the world and hurt sets in. And, you know, there's the critics and and the people that um, kind of push you down emotionally and um, mentally. And I think that we start to lose that side of us. Um, that was full of wonder and believed that we had that strength and, and believed that we had that value. And so when I was, um, that, that excerpt from my book, and thank you so much for reading it, you know, I had a really, uh, uh, hard and, and quick lesson in, in strength. And one of the things that I realized, and especially in that journey to writing the book was I've lived my whole life as an athlete. And I think that, um, so often when we look at someone that's physically strong, so they got the muscles popping through their shirt and, you know, just the, the quads and, and just fitness. I mean, I, I love watching fast people run. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. And you just are in awe of that strength and that fitness, right? I think it's really easy for us to believe that strength is an attribute for certain people. And so often we connect it with a, a physical, um, you know, a physical body, but also with people's achievements. And we just think I'm just mediocre. And, you know, that that's for that strength is a special talent. But when we um, flip that perspective, when we realize that strength is something that we choose and you can choose to be strong in any situation in your life. And so, um, you know, that, that part in the book, I'm really relating that back to when I was 16 years old and I'm, I'm, at a soccer game. It's just a couple months before my mom, um, passes away and she is incredibly sick, physically so beaten down, very uncomfortable. And she stands in the rain to watch me play this last yes. soccer game. And I think as I grew, um, and I, and I went and played, um, soccer in college. And as I began starting to, you know, to write this book, um, I realized that that's actually the strength that I want. I want to be so strong that even in the face of death, I show up for somebody. I want to be so strong that even in my last days that people know and understand how much I love them and that there was no amount of physical strength that I needed to show that. And and I think for my mom, her kids were, all five of us were the most important things uh, in her life. 
And that's where she put all of her energy. And, and I believe that when she left the world, the greatest impact she had was the love that we had felt from her our entire lives. And I know for me personally, that has impacted everything that I do. And so, you know, my mom never had social media. She was pretty shy. Um, she had a small friend group that really loved her. But understanding that her love um impacted me so much that I get to write about it and I get to speak about it. And it's like literally how I live my life. And in turn has been a way that I've been able to reach hundreds of thousands of people all over the world. Um, I just think that's so beautiful. And I don't think that is a special talent. It's not a special gift. Um, my mom chose to love and chose to be strong regardless of um, her physical state. And that's the life that I want to live too. And so I feel that when, as a, as an athlete, uh, whenever I travel to a race, whenever I coach as, as a mom, as a wife, um, when I keep strength and love at the forefront, of everything I do, it, it really helps me navigate what is, um, truly important in life. Yeah. I have literal chills like <laughs> <I know. laughs> right now. I was like, cool. I'm going to cry on a podcast. Before <laughs> Awesome. Um, this is why I cry on runs all the time. Um, Keely just pulled a, a quote from another interview that you did that I think really beautifully ties into kind of the book and this project and your mom's love and how you've been able to express that. And Keely, I'm wondering if you can uh, kind of read read that quote back to us. Yeah, I was listening to an interview. I think it was with you and Dylan, which also sounded like a bunch of friends oh. chatting. Oh. Um, but you were talking about how, you know, to leave an impact, we don't all have to reach hundreds and thousands of people. Like, your mom's gift was showing you love and you were able to manifest all of that love to like actually have an impact on more people, but her impact was no less great than your impact is. And I loved how you worded that because I think a lot of us do measure our impact based off of reach, right? But it only takes impacting one person to have a true impact on life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I love that you kind of made that analogy and how you've taken that love is through all of these projects and showing your strength. And one project in particular that was obviously really impactful to so many people was the Choosing Strong project that you kicked off like a, over a year ago now and then kind of did part two this year that we'll get to in a little bit. But <laughs> can you give us a little bit of a background on the Choose Strong project and kind of what your motivation was there and the impact you feel like that has on the community around you? Yeah, the Choose Strong project was motivated by um, my age, and it was the same age that my mom was when she passed away, so 43. My kids um, at the time um, were also the same ages that I was when, um, when I found out my mom um, had cancer, so 15. And then when, um, when my mom passed away, 17, so 15 and 17. So it was like such this like really impactful year for me. And I think it's really important to express, like, I don't go throughout my life every day. Like I miss my mom, like crying, but isn't like that it, it's, I think that the stories of our life, which are so unique to us, looking at everything in our life and understanding nothing is in vain. Everything that you go through, the hardships, the um, the sad times, the depressing times, those triumphs, they are to be used for something greater ahead. 
And I remember as a kid, that was always really hard for me to hear. I mean, I think that's kind of like the wrong thing sometimes to say is like when, when I was losing her, people would say, this is going to make you stronger and like, you know, better days are ahead. And that's like, I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> I just wanted my mom. Um, but as I grew older, I started to understand that I had this ability to empathize with a lot of people. And my story allowed me to travel around the world to orphanages and prisons and really hard, dark places in the world and sit next to people and, and, and be able to have compassion and understanding for them, but then also realize how blessed I was to even have a mom that loved me at all, you know, in a mm -hmm. world that, um, you know, especially the, the more that I traveled, I realized I was like, wow, I have way more than I ever understood. You know, as a teenager, you just think, I, I know teenagers, we can be really selfish. And so I always thought about all the things I didn't have and like how hard my life was. And it was like, it really, really wasn't because you were loved and you knew you were loved. And that is really um, the, the focus moving forward. So I wanted to somehow expose that message to the world. And that's kind of where Choose Strong was born. Um, and I was finishing up my book last year as, as well. We released it earlier this year, but I wanted to um, really draw a parallel to the last a year of my mom's life and really understanding how powerful her strength was. And so I took a break from racing in 2022. And thankfully, all my sponsors were very supportive of what I was doing because I purposely set myself up to, um, to do these five races and not be in a physically strong place for any of them. So, um, it, the, the miles of all these five races amounted to 507 miles, which was actually the number of months that my mom mm. got to live. So um, every mile represented a month of her life and every ra mm. race represented a different um, part of, of her life. And so as the um, project went on, uh, we started with Badwater um, 135. And then a couple of weeks later, we did Andrew's Crest 100. And then um, about, I think it was 14 days after that, we did Leadville 100. We then flew to Switzerland and did Crans Montana 108. And then um, in a very quiet, uh, uh, separate attempt, we came home and we double summited Mount Whitney um, from Lone Pine, California, which is a 92 mile attempt. And then the last one, which uh, we actually didn't make public was running from my childhood home where my mom passed away to her mm. graveside. And it was just so happened that it was like exactly the last amount of miles to finish out the 507 miles. So, um, mm. but every, every race we told a little story and um, I knew that as the races went on, my my body was breaking down more and more. Like I was not like in great shape at all <laughs> in 2022. Like it was just always kind of fighting my way back to the start line. Um, but understanding that the the power of the mind was what was getting me to the finish line each and every time. And um, it was really amazing to, we then did a film about it. You can, you can find it. I think, I think they called it running 507 miles. It's not on my side. It's on BPN site. They actually sponsored the entire project, which is incredible. Um, but yeah, the, the idea was to share her story, to honor her and to celebrate the fact that at the age that she was um, and me being that same age, I am a professional athlete 
running alongside my kids, totally healthy and strong and, and understanding that is a great gift. It's a beautiful gift to have your health, to be alive, to try every day, no matter what state we're in. And I think that's why I wanted to go into the races kind of with this handicap, if you will, knowing like, I understand the struggle. I know what it feels Mm. like when you're tired and you kind of feel beaten down. It was great for me to run, like not in the front pack and, and to be in in the community in a different way. And, um, to really feel the struggle of these races. Cause so often is both you guys know, you know, you pick your a races and you put your whole heart out there and you suffer up front and that's what your that's your job <laughs> but i was taking a step back and just gaining a different perspective and just um yeah it, it was a, a really powerful year and um yeah and so, like super symbolic right like i uh, i really think that's beautiful that it wasn't necessarily about it wasn't about performance it was about very much paying homage to like your mom standing in the rain watching you play soccer like in this like no like just knowing symbolically how hard it is to be strong when everything hurts and you're tired and you know you you maybe don't even want to be there sometimes type you know type of thing you'd rather be sitting somewhere warm and comfortable etc so I think that's really really beautiful that you were able to have this like very profound symbolism throughout that entire project. And I think people felt it in a big way too. I think people were like, wow, that's a lot of miles, but they were also like, we like know, know how Sally approaches things. I think Keely was about to type voluntary suffering into, uh, into the, the Google doc there. And the definitely that is ultra running. I think maybe. <laughs> well, it's like, I think Sally talks about this a lot is just like, she's endured suffering that was not voluntary that she had no say in. Right. So now like, when she approaches these insane projects, she always like recenters herself by reminding herself that like she's choosing to do this. And like, I think that's a really good reminder to me sometimes. Cause I think I forget that. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, this is horrible. Like, why am I doing this? It's like, no, I chose to do this. This is really cool. We're, we're, we're like seeing how far we can push ourselves. But This is Keely's mantra for Thailand when she's going to be <laughs> bushwhacking through ant nests in the Thailand. I chose to jungle. be here. I chose to be here. What I is signed that up mean? for it. Like uh, it's you want to go? Like, yeah, it's in, a couple, it's in three weeks. Uh, it's a hundred and to a hundred miles. They don't know. They all the different sites. Sally, tell me something different. But it's like a hundred plus miles in Do in Phnom, Thailand. It's like in the national park there, wow. outside of Chiang Mai. Yeah, totally outside my comfort zone. So I can kind of like all these podcasts I've been slamming in the past couple of days really resonate with me right now. <laughs> like I'm choosing this. Yeah, just this is a total aside. We've got a lot of tangents today. I was doing commentary for that race last year and the lead woman in the 100 mile race ran into an ant nest that was like in a tree branch. And all of a sudden our camera panned away really quickly and like turned like turned off. Essentially, we went to a different camera and we found out it was because someone hit this ant nest and suddenly it was panicking and was like taking all of her clothes off because she was like covered in ants. And so our oh camera person God. very quickly, like, you know, like shut the feed down essentially because it was like he needed to help oh her gosh, and she was so like scary. panicking. And it's just I like, okay, out for no, no ant nests for you in Thailand, but you're choosing those ant nests, every single one of them. <laughs> But oh, it's gonna be an adventure of a lifetime. Keely. It's gonna be amazing. I'm so happy, like just so excited for you. And we're, we'll we'll recap it um, when you're back from your trip. And I'm really yeah. really excited about it. But talking kind of like moving from, we all thought 2022 was a lot, 
And by a lot, I mean, like, we were like, wow, Sally, like, got after it. This is a cool project. This is massive. And you're like, enter 2023. (laughs) Why not double it? (laughs) Why not just, like, double down? You do, I think, what we're now affectionately calling the Grand Slam of 200s, and that's because the Triple Crown wasn't big enough. You and a couple (laughs) other athletes over the last couple of years have added Cocodona to that mix. I actually coached an athlete who did it a number of years, or just a couple of years ago, Wes Plate, who did Cocodona and the Triple, and he's amazing. His whole story is phenomenal, a big part of that 200-mile community. But yeah, you took on the Grand Slam of 200s. That's four 200-mile plus races, because they're not just 200 miles. They're all way too long Yep. Um, (laughs) in the span of... 18 weeks, one of which like was really close together because Tahoe was delayed due to snow. So you had like a super short turnaround between those two. So like, I don't know. It's just like, we know this is hard and we're just wondering, like, I listened to a podcast and you're like, I haven't run a step since like, I'm like really recovering. Like, how are you doing? Like (laughs) what an insane 2023. Before we we dive into me, I want to know when you guys will be doing a 200 mile race. Is this ever has is this somewhere on the very bottom of the bucket list? Is it on page 10 of the list? I, and I are I've very made, different. I've made it publicly known that I will never do a 200. <laughs> Whereas I'm That's like how I was. I'm like tour. Careful. Do I do tour soon? Um oh, oh yeah, I want to do yeah. can we go do TDG T TDG Tour de Jean together. Can we just like yeah, schedule exactly. that in for like 2026, maybe? Just put it on your Amazing. Calendar. Yeah. So I, I want to do tour. Um I've crewed at I've like helped at Tahoe. I've crewed and paced at Big or not Bigfoot at um Moab. Mm-hmm. And of the four, Cocodona is the one I'm most excited about, I think. So it's That's- like not not it. not this May, but there will be a May that I will probably do Cocodona. So yeah. You can come you can come pace me as I I'll come pace my and way crew. through. Haley, don't shake your head because that's how I was for many oh, years. No. I was like, I will right, never, never say never. Ever <laughs> do a 200. Yeah, because I was like, how much running are we actually doing, guys? Like, what what is this even? Yeah. And but if you do approach it knowing it is not a 100 mile race, like yeah. it I, I call them epics. It's beyond yeah. the ultra. It's I've done 171. Over. I've done the Tahoe okay. Rim Trail. So I've done 171 That's, miles, but I didn't have to sleep. It was short enough that I didn't have to sleep at all. So it's like the next half, step. I'm sorry, 29 miles short. <laughs> yeah, right. That's cool. Pretty That's much cool. a 200. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So I've done you, one. You're already there. You're already yeah. there. You know, Cocodona was um, was my favorite because you the the they do have aid stations a little bit closer together, and you do get to see your crew a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just love the point to point that you're like in the desert, and then all of a sudden you're ending in Flagstaff up in the Alpine and the altitude. I mean, you it je- like is really a adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Cocodona definitely recommend. I mean, they're all amazing courses, like the beauty you see in all of them. But you know, I think. When I finally decided to do it, I was like, I can't, I can't believe that I'm doing it. But after Choose Strong, the cool thing is is, is realizing like, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I did the 507 miles in such a close amount of time and that my body held up like I wasn't injured. Like, And I always believe every year I want to be better and I want to keep pushing the envelope. And if I get to do this as a career, I have all these people supporting me in my running. Why not just be curious and do something that uh, is totally different. You know, I've been in the sport long enough where it's like, do I keep on doing the same races or what other people expect me to do? Or 
am I going to leave the the sport when I retire? And well, maybe I'll just never retire. But knowing that I like did everything that was in my heart and everything that I really wanted to do. And 200s were just so mysterious. I knew I didn't know a lot about them or how to train for them or anything. And I thought, why not do all of them? So um, <laughs> the goal was to get better with each passing one and to learn something new. And so like I trained for all of them differently and pace them differently. I, I tried different things every single one because I, I genuinely wanted to be a student and in the back of my mind when we started 2023 I thought it would be so cool to like win the last one like if I if I really could learn you something graduated yeah <laughs> yeah like graduate so um yeah the way the Moab went out uh and what I experienced in there I don't think I on paper I should have won especially because second and third place were they're stellar fast and inc incredible athletes but I think because I had so many problems in all the the first three and all those things happen in mob. I was like, oh, I know what to do in this situation. Like I've been here before. And so it was just building on all of my losses and, and setbacks. Um, cause I think I probably would have maybe even dropped out if I experienced all those things for the first time at Moab. So, um, it was a really cool journey, just learning. And, um, you know, I, I was humbled every single race my races were so public and, and, you know, we're on, we're making a final documentary on the, on the Moab race right now, but you know, it was like, it, I, I didn't have smooth performances. I don't think that any of my performances or anything that anyone's gonna be talking about, but it's like a lot of, I remember at one time, Courtney Dewalder was like, seriously, Sally, you need to get it together. Like at UTMB, she's telling me, she's like, no, really? Like you need to figure out what's going on. Like every race is like a nightmare. And I was, I was like, I know, right? Like, why does it happen? You're like from the mouth of babes. <laughs> yeah. As someone who's paced you in a 100 mile, I think it's, I can see the chaos. Ah, Keely. Like, I remember going for Taramar. She comes into the aid and she's just like, Keely, where? I was like sprinting through and she's like, I've been eating lollies. And I'm like, what are lollies? And I'm like, lollies. And I'm like, what? And it's like these little teeny gummies. And I'm like, well, how many have you had? Like, oh, like three. And I'm like, you need more than three. <laughs> I was so out of it. I was so dizzy. I was like, so we have to running or med's going to make me sit down. Like they're going to make me stay in the aid station. I think I almost fell into the table. I was yeah. so and I depleted. tricked you though for a while and you got to, you ate a lot of gels in the next hour or two. <laughs> I just kept pretending we were at like 30 minutes, but it was like 10. And I'm like, Another one. <laughs> Oh no, you to my victory at Tarawara. It was one of my winning, so that was yeah, my first international hundred mile win and having Keely there. We had that trip was just super fun. Oh I just remember gosh. Tarawara is such a fun weekend. They put on an, an incredible event. And yeah, Amanda was there and just the whole crew. I just, yeah, good stuff. Keely. I love it. Oh my goodness. So Keely's very yeah. enduring. And she has, she's like an incredible pacer. Like everyone needs a Keely on their crew. Um, Done, sold. I mean, <laughs> badass athlete. So you're not going to get away with running slow with her, but you're, she's going to push you to be your best and then also make you laugh along the way. Like it was, <laughs> those were some really incredible miles. Really fun. Yeah. Oh, but one thing, so happy. one thing I just thought of, and I wonder your opinion on this, cause you kind of touched on it, but most ultra marathons require like so much suffering and they, they end up making you feel terrible, right? And so I feel like a lot of the times I end up signing up for another race because I almost have like amnesia and I forget how horrible they were. So I wonder like, 
you said going into the final race of this journey that you almost felt like you had learned so much, but I could see that those memories could be both helpful and also not very helpful because you could be starting this race like, cool, I know what's going to happen, but also like, please don't happen again because it's probably horrible. So like, like, how did you balance that? I was going to say, this reminds me like the the first timers coming into Western states who just like have freak amazing debut hundreds. And then it's like, they come back again the next year and they like struggle because it's like, oh no, no, now, now, you know, and like the knowing (laughs) is dangerous. So tell us about knowing. Yeah. Well, I think that all relates to how powerful your mind is too. So if you are looking and expecting and fearful of, oh my gosh, like this could happen again, or, um, or, you know, some people just have that more pessimistic, bad things always happen to me. Well, you know, like at some point it's going to get really crappy. And for me, like I went into Moab and I was like, this is going to be the best race ever, even though every race before was not like the things were stacked against me. But I think being in the sport for so long, I know the power of staying hopeful and understanding that sometimes it takes takes like 10 failures before you hit that, you know, that bright star that you've been aiming for. And one of the most powerful things that you can do for yourself is setting yourself up for success in your mind. And if you believe that in your mind, you're more likely going to achieve it than if you are looking for all of the setbacks. And so every time we hit an obstacle in the race, I just didn't let it take any focus or control. I took care of it the best I could. And then it was like, we need to keep pressing forward. Like we need to get to the next aid station. I need to catch the girl ahead of me. Um, I need to get to the finish line first. It was, what are all the positives in this? And you know, in Cocodona, what I experienced at Cocodona, I had to deal with that for the rest of the season. And it, at times it got worse and it was like painful. I I never experienced that amount of physical pain in a race in my entire career. And I think that having crossed the finish line and really when I saw the finish line, it was an outer body experience. I mean, I was sprinting towards that finish line and jumped through the air. A genuine celebration of I overcame that and I didn't think that I could. I mean, I really didn't know how I would take another step, you know, at mile 140, um, still having 110 miles to go and being in so much pain. And so when I got to Moab, I understood, okay, yeah, the last three races have been filled with a battle that I've had to face, but every race I've gotten to the finish line. So I'm either going to focus on what I learned from that. And I'm going to celebrate the fact that I was able to endure and I became stronger than that, or I'm going to be afraid of experiencing all those things again. And so it was just constantly choosing constantly choosing what I wanted to focus on. And I, again, that just goes back to your mind and what you choose to focus on can absolutely change the, the, the course of your journey and, and directly relating this to athletes. You know, if I put on my, my coach's hat, it doesn't matter if you're back of the pack, middle of the pack champion of the race, your mind is going to get you into a better place at any time that you want it to. And if you come into an aid station and you are feeling like, man, I'm low, I'm out of calories, I'm I'm nauseous, I've got these blisters, you have the choice to just let that be your focus or you take care of it and you focus on what you want to accomplish. And so focusing on the goal instead of feelings um, 
can can be a better way to approach every race day because how many times both of you know both i you guys are incredible how fast you run at, at the front a lot of people will never understand how painful that is especially going <laughs> up a hill when you're being yep. chased it is next level but you know that when you cross that finish line the 10 minutes after cross the finish line the one hour two hour three hours so many of those feelings subside yeah you wake up the next day the body's like aching a little bit but as those days go on what it what are you left with you're left with what you did you're not left with the feelings that you felt at mile 82 when you're trying to rub a, run a, as fast as you can and, and you know you're redlining and I think that if we focus on what we want to achieve, instead of being so obsessed with how we're going to feel on race day or the emotions that we might experience on race day, you know, all those things are fleeting. They, they, they come and go. And, you know, I don't show up to race um, start lines for a feeling. I want to accomplish a goal. And sometimes the negative feelings get away. Sometimes the discomfort gets in the way. And it's really cool to kind of then turn into the one that is in control of all of that. I'm going to control what's going on. Yeah, there might be some pain that pops up that I wasn't expecting. I might trip and fall and, you know, um, skin my knee or I might throwing be throwing up my nutrition, but I'm still in control of, of what's going to happen next. I control the next step. I control mm -hmm. what I'm thinking. And the goal is always going to be the focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times I've finished a race and maybe it went really well on paper and people are like, wow, like that must have felt amazing. And you're like, mm. no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I wanted to die. Like, I retired from ultra running four times during the race. <laughs> like I thought I hated running. Like <laughs> I quit the sport a dozen plus times. So true. Yeah. I asked myself why at least 105 times. Why am I doing this? And your pacer's like, la, 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 keep going. <laughs> Take a nap, oh, Sally. Come on. <laughs> lay, lay down for five minutes and then we'll go again. Uh, yeah. Oh, that was Joe Corsione in the last 30 miles of the race. Nice. Running, literally running into tree branches. And I'm like, I'm I'm sleeping right here, Joe. Like barely even talking straight. And I would drop down in the dirt, man. I I always told myself I would never do that because, I mean, it's so funny that you brought up ants. I'm like, I hate ants, especially the ones that are like really big, like those big black ones or like the red fire ants. Oh my gosh, give me the heebie-jeebies. But I was always like, I won't ever take dirt naps. I'm not going to just drop down in the middle of dirt and sleep because I don't want ants crawling all over me. Or and tarantulas. I did that like eight or... times. Yes. I did that like eight times in the last like 38 miles or something of, of the race. I dropped down for like two minutes, three minutes, and then pop back up and I'm like, okay, here we go. It's insane <laughs> how effective it is though. Like I was pacing so um, Alicia Jenkins at Moab and she's going to, I think she's doing, she's doing the triple crown. I think she's doing Cocodona. I think she's doing the grand the slam next year because she's Do it. a beast, but she like, we'd be like, just like hammering along. And then all of a sudden she'd like, wouldn't be able to maintain like a 25 minute mile. And I'd be like, oh, crap. And then it's like, as soon as you got her to lay down, she'd be like, I'm gonna lay down for five minutes. And then four and a half minutes later, she'd like let out an exhale and like pop up and start running. And you were like, wait, what? Like, I'm not ready to run. Yeah. I'm tired now. <laughs> so silly. So, so silly. Yeah. Um, we kind of want to, we got one more question that ties into the two hundreds and then we kind of want to steer from that question into some like more like family stuff because you're, okay. while well, you're amazing. Your family is like 
dream status. Um, I think we all were like, cool, that's something to aspire to in a big way. Yeah. And know, we you- have a lot of people listening who want advice on like youth athletics and and mm-hmm. like coaching their daughters and sons through that yeah. time too. So I think it could be really impactful. Yeah. Um, so I guess to start, you know, how is balancing the family and kid dynamic during this 2023 project in which mom was out running a lot sometimes? Yeah. Well, now that my kids are teens and so for listeners that um, are parents, you go through these different seasons in life, you know, when they first enter the world, especially those first three years, like you feel like I just need to keep you alive. And if I Mm -hmm. leave you alone for more than a minute, that might not happen. (laughs) So you feel like just this overwhelming burden that every single minute has to be accounted for. Like you are fully focused in tune with everything that this child is doing. And I think especially for the the new moms that are listening, I know that that season is also very tiring and it's exhausting and it's overwhelming. And especially if you have a partner that maybe works outside of the home and you just feel like I've been in baby talk land for like eight hours straight and I don't even feel like an adult anymore. Like I haven't <laughs> taken a shower in two days. I can't even go to the bathroom alone. Like this is like, when will this end? And it's okay to even ask yourself that. I know for Eddie and I, when we were brand new parents with Mackenzie, it we would have these talks where like, we can't wait until she walks. Like, we can't wait till she's in preschool. We can't wait until, you know, all these things that you just can't wait for them to do because you're so exhausted. And I think as we slowly moved through the seasons, what we learned is like, wow, the days are genuinely long, but the years are short. Like I can't believe my kids are 15 and 17 right now. They're turning 16 and 18 um, in March. And, you know, Mackenzie's moving out of the house in eight months. And I cry every other week um, about that because when I look at her, I still remember so well um, when she ran her first race when she was four years old and um, how cute she was in her little pink short standing at the start line. I still see her that way. We still and- see her that way too. Like we, know. we know Mac as this like <laughs> tiny little bean. Little, so it's crazy tiny, yeah. that she's going to she- be a college student soon. I know. She's packing up her bag. She's heading to NAU, um, which we're super grateful because that was the closest one to home. We can actually drive to that school from Southern California. It was Colorado or Oregon were um, close competitors in that decision. But yeah, I think that with this year, being able to do 200s, um, I have been very calculated my entire career. You know, the races that I choose, um, you know, I, I think that one thing I've always spoken about is I, I've never genuinely had a, a conventional training plan because I've always put my kids first. So I was never, uh, it was really rare that I would, um, you know, ever join a morning run group, you know, because I needed to train when my kids were taking a nap, when they were at preschool, which is sometimes preschools are only a couple hours. Um, and so I spent a lot of time training on treadmills at gyms that had kids clubs. So if if there's a kid's care, a babysitting room at the gym, I'd be like, oh yeah. And a lot of times you get like 90 minutes or two hours. Like that was like gold to me. But what I found um, through all of it was if I create a training plan that complements my family, instead of trying to stick to a training plan that makes me feel guilty all the time because I can't meet the demands of it. And I can't, um, you know, I'll get sad not being able to meet with, with groups of people and go running. 
I have to understand that for me as a mom, the most important thing in the world to me um, is my family. And I want my kids to feel loved and I want to be a good mom and I want to do all the things. But there was also that, um, obviously that athlete competitive side to me, I wanted to be the best that I could be. And so there was a lot of frustration when my kids were little because I wanted to live the life of a pro athlete. I wanted to um, train the way that um, what I thought was that everyone else was training. And it, I knew uh, just one morning while I was having my coffee, Isaiah crawled up onto my belly. He was like 10 months old. Um, and he's like slobbering his face all over my cheek. And I just like look into his eyes and I realized this is genuinely the greatest gift. And I get to carve out, you know, the story that I, that I want to tell. And if I'm going to be a good mom, then I have to let go of these invisible expectations that I'm setting on myself, um, which is really easy. I think that we, we tend to do, um, I think we feel we internalize. Yeah. We, we internalize, internalize things that yeah. aren't necessarily like we no think there's external that pressure. You. <laughs> yeah. You're like, who, but who said that? I mean, I hear this. I mean, I see this even on social media. Sometimes it's kind of frustrating because you know, you, you could have, a hundred people say wonderful, kind things to you and you could be having a great day. And then like that one person in the gym says something and then you go to social media and you're like, we need to change this and people this. You're like, how many people actually said that to you? Like, how often is that actually happening? Is it all of society or is it just like you maybe were in one a bad jerk. place? That one, that one jerk. Like we will all have jerks in our life. We'll all have our, our critics. And I mean, I was there too. I remember when people uh, would approach me in the gym and say things. I mean, no one ever thought I was a runner. They always thought I was a CrossFitter, a kickboxer, a cyclist, you know, and I used to get like all like upset about that, you know? And then I, I realized I was like, I don't actually have to get upset about that. Like I, I need to take control of not only my mind, but what I receive is true and like what is good and what I know about myself. And I think that when I looked at Mackenzie and Isaiah, I thought I want to be a good mom. And I also want to show them what it looks like to pursue a dream. And it's going to get really messy. It's I love that crazy. so much though. I think it's so important <laughs> for like people that are currently parents, people like myself who like hope to be a parent in like the next couple of years. Like it's, that is like really good to hear. We've had those conversations like, okay, if I don't race this race next, this next year, like, will I, am I okay going back to that race in a different chapter of my life? And like knowing that it might not be quote unquote, as perfect as it is right now. And I'm like, oh, life's never perfect. Balance is a fallacy. I've said that, I don't know, probably a million times on this podcast, but we want to talk a little bit too about kind of continuing on that relationship trend. Like we've gotten to watch, you know, you're a very public person. We both like Keely and I have known you for a long, long time as well, personally, but you know, we've gotten to watch this relationship between you and your daughter, Mac, um, watch her love of running, which is so pure and seems very joyful, like joy filled and joyful, which is really cool. And I'm wondering like, how has it been to share running with her, share your sport with her? And then how have you been able to kind of like help keep her balanced in the world of athletics, which can be so, so tricky, I think, particularly like with social media and all that kind of stuff in the mix. Yeah, this is, I, I love chatting about this topic. I think it's, um, it's something that a lot of parents are trying to navigate. So I do get contacted um, quite often in, in the world of youth athletics, um, going right into to high school. And I, thankfully McKenzie's had 10 different coaches. Um, so I can kind of talk candidly about, 
uh, coaches without anyone knowing who I'm talking about, because it's been hard. Um, and, and 10 coaches, because there'll be several coaches on a club team, several coaches on a, on a high school team, on a middle school team. So, um, when I, when the kids were probably like three and five, so Isaiah was three, Mackenzie was five. I started taking them out on the trails with me consistently. And uh, there was two reasons why I did that. One, I just never believed, I, I didn't grow up with like a lot of material possessions. I would never call myself poor. If you read my book, I don't ever use that book. I don't consider, um, you know, we, we didn't have a lot growing up. We didn't have medical and dental care and, um, you know, maybe the normal amount of food in, in the kitchen all the time. But I feel like that because I grew up not having a lot, it helped me really understand what is important in life. And so for me, I felt like getting my kids experiences and getting them outside and adventuring with them was far more important than how many toys that they had or how many um, pairs of shoes and, and clothes. Um, we also made our kids share a room until they were like, until they were like five and seven or six and eight. I think, yeah, when they were six and eight, they finally had their own rooms, but there's a lot of things that were so important to me. So it was relationship building. That's why we had them share a room. They had to learn how to work out their differences. And they, I would always tell them, you're going to have a lot of friends in your life, but you'll always only have one brother. Mackenzie, you'll all, you know, for Mackenzie and Isaiah, you'll always just have one sister, you know, Mackenzie. And so this relationship is, is so precious. And, um, and then I really believed that, um, I, I know it was true for me. Some of my best memories, some of my best conversations um, are when I'm in movement with people. So being a soccer player my whole life, I still miss those days of my team running out on the soccer field and giggling with, with my girlfriends as we're putting on our cleats and our shin guards and we're warming up and um, those feelings of winning games and supporting each other when you lose a game and, and genuinely becoming best friends through all of that. And I'm still friends with high school and college uh, players to this day. And so I think running is both you guys know how many incredible conversations have you had out on the trail and amazing, hilarious memories, um, out in the mountains. I mean, it, they genuinely are the best. And so I wanted to create that with the kids. And so I would take Mackenzie and Isaiah out on the trail and it was, let's go look at deer. Let's go catch some frogs and, um, we'll go play in the Creek. It was never about we're going for a run. And I think that this, this point that I'm making right here is so important as parents, your kids will have a lot of coaches, a lot of guides, counselors, teachers in their life. They will only ever get one you, they get one mom, they get one dad that is that, that they look to that, that has that title. And I think there's something so precious and, and sacred about that. That is a gift. And, um, and that's something that I like to encourage you. Your kids are not a burden. They're not your job. They are your gift. And when you view them that way, when you um, speak to them that way and you treat them that way, they're going to feel that. They're going to feel that they are a gift to you. They're going to feel that love and that care, and they're going to trust you. And as um, as Mackenzie and Isaiah have gotten older, that has been really important to Eddie and I is that they trust us in every season of their life. And so now that they're 15 and 17, our kids come to us with everything, every mm -hmm. single thing they're going with, it's their dating relationships or the hardships at school or stuff that their teacher says or that their coach says or hard things they're going through with their friends. I mean, 
you, I can't replace that. There's, and, and mm -hmm. being able to have those conversations on the couch at night here in our home. Um, I think those are the things that have made our kids strong and, and confident. And so when they would go out on the trails with me, I thought one of the most empowering, one of the most, uh, powerful tools that any athlete has across all sports is enthusiasm. If you love what you do, if you are enthusiastic about what you do, you will continue to do it likely for the rest of your life or until, you know, you're capable of doing it because you genuinely have, have dug roots so deep that are rooted in love and enthusiasm for that thing. And so my hope was to create that for the kids and being outside. Now, Isaiah, like me, went on to be a ball sports athlete, but just this year he did join the cross country team. So he and Mackenzie for the first year ever, um, are teammates and it's the That's so sweet. Thing. It's the sweetest <laughs> thing. Um, but for Mackenzie, she started to really, really fall in love with trail running. And by the time she was 11 years old, she was running up mountains with four or five, 6,000 feet of eleva elevation gain. I mean, she's summited Mount Wilson, Mount Baldy, um, Ontario Peak. I mean, she's an incredible mountain runner and has this incredible amount of endurance. But before we would ever go on an adventure, she would always be the one that would come to me. And I remember her waking me up sometimes in the early morning because I used to train like at 4 a.m. and 10 p.m. at night. That's how I navigated little kids was training when they didn't need me. So I had a lot of tired years working toward that dream. But Mackenzie would sometimes bring the headlamp to me like at five in the morning before school. Oh. She was like seven, eight years old. And she'd be like, mommy, can we go run to the bagel shop? You know, and we'd, we'd put on our headlamps and it would just be this sweet little run. And we'd get a bagel and we'd sit at the bagel shop like at 630 in the morning. And then we'd run back home. And as time went on and every time that it would hit summer, she's like, can we go run up a mountain? And she'd always tell me, I, I love all how much we laugh, mom. And we just like have the best talks, mom. And as she got older, that is what she's equated running with. And every time she's joined a team, she's run for two different high schools because we lived in, in Bend when she was a freshman. Her main focus has always been on the friendships and who's on the team. And even when she was looking for a college, she was the most focused on the dynamics of the team. How does this team support each other? Do they get along? Like, do they love one another? I mean, and that's really why she chose NAU. Coach Mike is such a supportive, loving coach, but the team was so friendly to her. So mm -hmm. I really believe as parents, we have the opportunity to instill enthusiasm, grace, um, and encouragement into our kids' sports journey. It doesn't have to be in running for those that are listening because there's only very few people who will ever see the ins and outs of your kids day to day and understand their dreams, their goals, what they're going through. Um, and you want to be the one that they trust. And that's not to say that, um, you know, especially as a runner, Mackenzie growing as a runner, I've really hit heads pretty hard um, with some coaches. Now, a lot of that has been internally. So I don't go to the coach and have arguments with these coaches, but it has been really difficult for me, especially if it's a coach that is, um, Maybe not so toxic. I, I'm just going to say it. 
I was a coach that uses not encouraging words to the team, um, likes to say things to control the kids or for whatever reason, just is, is not positive. And that's mm -hmm. been something that throughout the years, I know that I have been able to walk with Mackenzie through. And if anything, it's been really good because instead of, um, you know, being really upset about it, I'm like, you're going to have bosses in your life like this. You're going to have teachers like this. You might be in a relationship with someone like this. So I'm going to explain to you what is good and right and what is toxic and a red flag. Mm -hmm. And so it's been, we, we've had incredible conversations over the year, the years. And I feel like Mackenzie is, is so much better than where I was at, at 17. When I was 17, I mean, I, it's just incredible to see her mental state and how she works through things and how she communicates with people now. And, um, you know, and I know too, I, I, I tell her like, you have to show respect always to your coaches, to your teachers, um, even if you disagree and, um, but be very careful about what you receive in your heart, in your mind, always trust what you know is to be good and true. But, you know, if you can identify when something isn't rooted in love and isn't encouraging, um, that's going to allow you to have control about what stays and, and what needs to go. But you're out there to, to run and be the best that you can be, to be a supportive teammate. Um, and that's really how I support her. So I've never coached her. Um, I've, I've always wanted to, I'll tell you, it's, <laughs> it's been really hard not to, um, but I know my place and I've chosen that place. Um, I think what's unique to me, and I don't think it's going to be as so common as, as maybe the vast majority of your listeners is just me being in that space as a professional runner too. I've never wanted Mackenzie to feel like she was in my shadow or that she ever needed to do what I was doing or proceed in the way that I have, um, and I remind her all the time, I'm like, I never did any of the events that you run. I still to this day have never run the events that you run. I never did cross cross country in high school. I did it in middle school, but I didn't, um, you know, get on the track and run the two mile and the one mile. I mean, and I just remind her, I go, you're on your own journey. You are amazing. And I'm not going to come in as a coach and tell you how to do this or that. I'm just going to be your mama in the corner cheering you along every step. Yeah. It's so critical. I feel like I've definitely <laughs> seen parents try to like live vicariously through their kids, like in a negative way. I think there's like a positive there, right? Of like just like really celebrating and being so like being like there for them but it's different than when it's like you're when I, I've I've coached kids whose parents are trying to relive their glory days or relive mm -hmm. something that they never had etc and it's very it's very evident when you're there so yeah it's, it's hard common. to be a parent I think just like being the supportive the supportive role mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and I think on that supportive lens like it's so cool to hear that Mac kind of gravitated towards a team that she felt was really supportive mm -hmm. um but you know, with the creation of the NIL deals and all of the social media and stuff, I think even with really supportive teammates and a pretty good running culture, like collegiate sports can be pretty toxic for female athletes. Yeah. And so how have you kind of addressed this with her as someone who, you know, has always kind of praised being able to train in a healthy way and having your menstrual cycle? Like, have you had these difficult conversations with her and how have you kind of addressed that as a parent? Yeah. So, um, the, 
There have been a couple times um, just in Mackenzie's life. She's she's always been really tiny, and and um, that is genetic on both sides of our family. So there's a lot of really like petite women on my side. Of it. I'm not. Um, and then on Eddie's side of the family too, there's there are definitely some just smaller framed um, women. And even when Eddie was little, like when he was younger. Um, Mackenzie looked exactly like him, like body type, everything. And so she is genetically and naturally really small. Like she's full grown right now. And she wears like size five and a half shoe. Um, and she's just a bitty. Yeah. Yeah. She's a bitty. bitty. She's a little, little peanut. And so she has had to deal with people pointing that kind of stuff out because she's a runner and in our family and in our house, I talk about food as fuel. Um, I have every single year. Mackenzie is an incredible eater. Um, you know, we dial in on her nutrition and her supplements. And that is something that um, I'm very open about. And we have discussions about it. And, and you know, and it's it's good too, when you hear stuff in the sports world and news, we can talk about articles and we can talk about injuries and we can, can talk about getting sucked into a toxic culture. And I'd say that her age group, um, more and more high school coaches, they actually talk about it quite a bit. Like at both her high schools, it's seminars they actually do with the girls team. It feels like it's advanced. Like it feels like this was like so in the, like it was so taboo when we were in high school to talk Mm -hmm. about like menstruation or reds or LEA. We didn't even have like terminology for it. And now it feels like, my friend's a dietitian here in Seattle. And I feel like every other day she's doing a seminar for a high school or college team mm-hmm. somewhere on like on reds and LEA. Like it's, yeah. it's really cool. Just like as an observer to be like, okay, there's hope for this generation. Yeah. All the colleges that we went to too. I mean, at, it was amazing just on the recruiting trip. They talked a lot about that. And so mm-hmm. we felt like, well, I've, I've felt like that, especially as she, um, hit like her high, the beginning of her high school years and, you know, her body started changing and she grew. And, um, I think that, you know, being able to talk about it just so naturally, um, mm-hmm. you know, she comes home and she's, oh, I didn't feel great at my workout. And I'm, I'm meeting like, well, what'd you eat before? Like, what did you, you know, and did you eat? Yeah. Yeah. And did you eat? And she's, I mean, people do know her as eating a lot. I mean, she just has that body type where she can go to in and out eat two cheers, two cheeseburgers and a milkshake. And you're just like, Oh my God. Still hungry. Yeah. Yeah. It's so not fair, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I, I think that keeping it as just a normal conversation, I started talking about food with both my kids when they were in elementary school. Mm-hmm. And my approach for that was just um, because Eddie used to take the kids to McDonald's when I would do my long run when they were little, because McDonald's had a playground mm-hmm. and I would get into arguments with them. I was like, I please don't take him to McDonald's like of all places. And he's like, if you're going on a long run, we're doing pancakes in the playground at McDonald's. <laughs> like, cause our kids are like super high energy. Both of them were. And so I was like, you know what? This is where we compromise. Fine. It's, it's pancakes and um, McDonald's, but my kids, as they got older, they would catch on to that. And so when he would ever take them out to fast food, they'd be like, mom, guess where dad took us. <laughs> so it became kind of like a joke, but when the kids started understanding food, they'd be like, why don't you like McDonald's? And I was like, well, I just think that like when possible, 
aim for like high quality food because that's just going to make you move better on the soccer field. And mm -hmm. no, like, please, all the listeners, like, no, I'm not judging anyone that goes to fast food. Like I ate so much Taco Bell after every single 200 mile race. And like, like we lived, we lived, I can like, still go to fast food. <laughs> like that's like, that's how my parents got us on these like cross country road trips is that we'd yes. stop at the McDonald's with the play place yeah. because we could have like chicken nuggets and like burn off a lot of energy yeah. and put us back in the car. Like this 100%. is my existence for sure. I'm not against fast food. I'm just going to say that like if you bump into me in a fast food place i think i even met people after i won mobab i was in the airport eat, getting um a milkshake and a hot fudge sundae and fries <laughs> so um no nothing against uh fast food but i think especially when you're a new parent you're just like i'm like so paranoid about everything that's going into their body and you're like we're gonna be super organic everything and i'm never gonna be ruled by bribes and it's like oh my gosh i did it all we did the fast food and the bribes and i'll do anything to get you to stay in your bed and like so I think when it comes to food now, that's what we talk about. Like Mackenzie will get home, uh, especially at the beginning of her high school career. And she would say, mom, what, like, what should I have before practice? Like, what's the best food I can have? And so I just love that we're candid about that. So they understand food is fuel, but they also understand that they can have as much ice cream and donuts as they want. It's just that maybe it's not going to make you feel good for tomorrow's <laughs> training. So we don't really do like, this is bad, or this is your guilty pleasure. Or, this is your reward food. It's like, that's all the food you can choose from it, whatever you want. But if you want to perform and feel good in training, you might want to lean more towards like whole food examples. So I think it's just really how you approach the way you communicate about food. Don't ever make it seem something that makes them feel bad about themselves or that they can only have as a reward. It's like, no, just choose what, how, how you want to feel. <laughs> yeah. Not so. demonizing things. I think that's, yeah. really, that's really critical. It's like how we talk about things or how we even like show, like lead by example, right? Like, what am I doing? What am, what are you seeing me mm -hmm. do? Like so many of the kids that I grew up with were impacted by like just watching their parents interact with. Oh yeah. With well, we grew up like in diet culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything was slim fast and way more moms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just my mom. I don't ever remember my mom not on a diet. Right. I mean, exactly. Like, or talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you always knew that she, like I, for me, I was like, I always knew she was like discontent with her weight. Always. Mm -hmm. I don't think she, I don't really ever remember my mom feeling pretty or like good. or like the way this looks on me or like, I feel strong, you know, and that makes me sad, but I yeah. see how that we were all impact, impacted by that too. Yeah. We've all internalized that message. And I'm so happy that like podcasts like this podcast, like your podcast, like all these, just like people talking about it more and more, I think normalizes it. People have definitely told us like after listening to us talk about a topic, like they feel more comfortable bringing it up with their family or their friends or yeah. just like broaching those conversations. And it's like the normalization, I think of, of having this kind of dialogue is really important. And we want to be respectful of, of your time because we could have recorded for four hours and we're totally opting. Out. We have to do a part two just because right, I we'll love do, it. We'll do more. Sally's going to become a regular guest, actually. <laughs> we're just going to we're gonna have Sally on quarterly to talk about something random. Um, well, as you guys are any, I mean, Keely's getting married. I mean, I know <laughs> both you guys have, you know, families on your mind sometime in the future. I don't know when or, but, you know, I'm, I, I can be a mama bear to, to, to you guys. And, uh, I would love to, to share and guide at, at any time. I'm an open book, so I'm not perfect, <laughs> but man, I've made a lot of mistakes in myself and I can tell you, don't do this. Yeah. I will <laughs> say that we were like working on this outline yesterday and, uh, 
Keely, and we're leaving this in. Keely, you're not editing this out. We're leaving this in. Um, we, uh, and I was like, we're like, okay, what do we want to talk about? And I was like, well, we should talk about like this and that. But like, also we could just ask her anything we want because like we just throw a topic at Sally and we'll have an hour conversation about like yeah. this, this specific aisle in the grocery store. Like it's like <laughs> totally fine. Like we, we're golden. So I think maybe you have to come on for an ask us anything. Oh, that would be really fun. I'd love okay. it. I, I hope it happens. <laughs> Yay. I I try to make promises that I can keep. So this will be <laughs> one of those. Um, before we let you go for today, where can people find the book, the podcast, you on the internet? Like where can people come to track you down? Yellow Runner on Instagram. My profile has a link tree. And so Sweet. you're going to find the book, my YouTube channel, um, our podcasts, you know, other good stuff. So yeah, find me. You there. can get a lot of Sally. Yeah, all the things. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for dedicating an hour of your morning to us. We know that you're a busy, busy lady. So we appreciate you immensely. Okay, still favorite interview. I think that's still our favorite in- interview. Sally is, like we said at the top of that, our mama bear. Like we could have recorded with her for four hours and just gone deep into really anything. We tried to write that outline before we hit record and it was like, We might talk about some of this, but we're probably going to go deep dive on a tangent. And we sure did. If you want to find Sally, she's all over the place. Yellow Runner on Instagram, um, Choosing Strong, Choose Strong. Her book came out this past year. Um, Her podcast with her husband, Eddie, is amazing. Please go check it out. If you like her laugh, you'll get a lot of it over there. Um, And I think that brings us to Society Slam. Keely, you've been feeling festive. What's going on in Society Slam this week? So Society Slam this week is Christmas holiday themed. So even if you don't, you know, celebrate Christmas, it's just kind of festive themed. Um, And we're going to talk through our favorite Christmas gift ideas for Trail Ultra Runner. And then also our favorite like dishes around the holidays that we think are best for happiness and recovery. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And this can go a lot of different ways. I think for, I was thinking about Christmas gifts, um, just because it's like, I I need to get get the ball rolling here and take care of some people in my life. But there's so many cool ways to do that. I was actually just in um, a newer local running shop to the Seattle area recently out in the Snoqualmie kind of North Bend area. And I was like, oh my, I love supporting the local retailers, like oh the sock collection, the new running caps they've got in. I was actually there picking up spring energy gels for Mike McMonagall for Cape Town. So, um, you know, they got a little bit of everything, but I was like, it'd be really cool, you know, for the runner in my life, the local runner, right. To, to maybe get them a gift card. If you're not sure what they want, if you're not sure what kind of shorts they're into or what hydration pack they might be eyeing up. I do love a good, besides going getting socks because you cannot go wrong with socks. I love, I love a nice pair of socks, but, um, I think like getting a gift card to a local run shop, like your local run specialty shop where they can go in and try on the shoes they might be eyeing up or the fancy, the new fancy pair of shorts that might be a little bit out of their budget normally. Um, I think that that can be a nice way to one, support your community and to have your runner get something nice for themselves that maybe they wouldn't have bought otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely reiterate that. I think supporting locals awesome. And it's just fun to like go in and see someone mm-hmm. and talk with them and like get their opinion on stuff. Um, they have a shop dog. That's like really cute. There's a 14 year old, uh, or cattle, like, cattle mix in the shop. Like Christmas hats, you know, yeah. that's fun. Um, I think on that sock front, there's a good Christmas 
sock collection at Stance. I love Stance socks. Not sponsored Stance. at all. I just love those socks. Same. They have Christmas. Sponsor us, Stance. We um, love your socks. So it was really fun. I feel like I think most runners, and again, if it's not for you, not for you, but most runners kind of like being dorky. And I feel like the easiest way to be a dork is with socks. And so like themed socks, always fun. Um, and then I think another gift that if you're willing to spend a little bit more money and your partner, friend, cousin, mom, sister, whoever you're buying for is very adventurous and loves to go into the backcountry or whatever. Mm. I best gift I ever got JT was the mini Garmin in reach yeah. because it's a little expensive, but again, like, you know, where they are. There's always a way to know where they are. There's a help beacon. It's really safe. And I'm almost shocked that we didn't get one until two years ago. Um, you know, just with how unpredictable the world and weather can be. Yeah. Steven and I actually both have one now. I got him one for his birthday a couple of years ago. I ended up buying one for myself this past year in part because it was like, oh, we're like, sometimes we're at the same trailhead, but he's going skiing in the spring and I'm going for a run. And it's like, oh, we should actually both probably have one of these, like, you know, the, the emergency plan gets weirder and weirder when only one person is in communication. So, um, yeah, Garmin, the Garmin Enrich mini is a great, a great investment from like a personal state safety standpoint. And you can send the like satellite, like not even the SOS, but it's like when Steven's running late in the mountains and he's not going to like be out to signal for a little while, he'll can be, he can send me like a pre-programmed text. that's like, Hey, like all's good. Like just running behind or whatever. Like it's it's nice. It gives you peace of mind to be like, oh, they're not lost indefinitely. I don't have to call search and rescue. Um, so that's a great, that's a great idea, actually. You also, we also wanted to talk about um kind of favorite. We're walking into the holiday food season, um, mm-hmm. which brings up, I think, both nostalgia to the forefront, but also just like, I don't know, some extra scrumptious things. And I wanted to know what your favorite Thanksgiving and or Christmas dinner item is. I mean, mine's kind of a combination. So I feel like I'm a little bit cheating, but I don't care. Um, Mine is definitely like leftover turkey, mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce that you put on a sandwich. Mm, I think that's a great call. We... We make our friend Damo introduced us to this recipe a number of years ago, and it sounds kind of gross, but there's actually not that many oysters in it. It's an oyster stuffing, huh. which is like it's there's not that much oyster in it. So it, it feels less weird when you I don't know if you're not a seafood person. You're like warm oysters. Not sure if I'm into that. But basically, it's like the stuffing is so good. It's got like bacon lardons and Brussels sprouts and so much bread. And it's just like I think stuffing can sometimes be this like side thing. But this is like the meal. Like I just want to eat vats of this stuff for days. And I'm always bummed if we don't have enough leftovers of it um, because it's so, so good. So yeah. yeah, Like the high quality stuffing situation. That's what I'm all about. Yeah. I'm with you. I personally love all the food that we make. (laughs) Yeah. I'm normally responsible for a pie. It's probably a little salty. Like Mm it sounds great. Yeah. It's savory. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and then you can't forget about dessert, obviously. Lots and lots of pie happening in this household. Yeah. I made a like bomb apple cake the other day with roasted apples and like a streusel top. Oh. It's pretty impressive myself. We have like an apple tree that fruited like crazy this year. So we have like 70 apples in our garage just in like a dark place. So I try to make something with apples every week. So also if you guys have any apple ideas, you just send them my way. <laughs> I <will. laughs> Healy needs help um, that are going to buy her an, an apple press or something of that nature. So uh, 
that's that's amazing okay we're gonna leave it there for today thank you all for continuing to slide into our dms for uh humoring us along the way as we go on wild tangents throughout this thing but if you've listened this long give us a little love go uh go leave us a review maybe a five star review would be great um it really does help other people find our podcast so share it with a friend and until next time we'll see you out on the trails Bye.